Welcome to the latest episode of our Innovation in Energy podcast series. My name is Adrian Dolmeister and I'm the Director of Research in PwC UK. Our series on innovation in the energy industry has covered a diverse range of topics from electric vehicles to drones. Today we're discussing hydrogen. Hydrogen appears to be in the ascendancy. After many years on the periphery of policy discussions, the energy industry is increasingly talking about hydrogen and our clients are referencing the importance of hydrogen more and more. Now, hydrogen is not a new idea. The first fuel cell vehicle was developed in the 1950s, and in the UK, town gas, sourced from hydrogen, was replaced by natural gas only in the 1960s. But there certainly seems to be a revival of hydrogen, and the question we shall be addressing today is, are we on the cusp of a golden age of hydrogen, or is it a false dawn? In this podcast, we shall explore the applications and benefits of hydrogen, the challenges, what needs to be done in the UK to reach this hydrogen pathway. And to help us, I'm joined by four guests who each bring a special expertise and perspective. Janine Freeman, who's a director in our PwC deals practice with a focus on new energies and M&A. Sam Hollister, who's the director of economics and corporate services at Energy UK. Ed Sison, who's the Chief Strategy and Safety Officer at Caden Gas, and Alan Thompson, who's the Global Leader Energy Systems at Arup. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Alan, I'd like to start with you first. Could you help us in placing hydrogen into some kind of context? What are the different applications of hydrogen as a fuel, and what are the benefits? So if we think about the overall energy system from supply through genera generation demand, uh, a number of ways that we can move, store, supply and, and use that energy. Electricity is perhaps the, the most well-known one, but then natural gas as well, Li liquid fuels such as petrol and diesel or others. These are sometimes referred to as energy vectors. Well, hydrogen is just another energy vector, but it has unique characteristics. It's molecular rather than an electron. So it enables us to do things like move it over long distances and store it for long periods of time. And in that respect, it works in a very complementary way to electricity and helps us to decarbonise uh, some of the other elements of our energy system, which are a little bit more tricky, particularly into transport and heat. Alan, that's very helpful. Um, Alan, you talk a little bit about the importance of decarbonisation of heating, which is going to be a major challenge for the UK sector. So maybe, Ed, your company is playing a very important part in this area. Perhaps you can give us a flavour of the activities you're undertaking. Yes, <clears throat> um, and perhaps it's worth saying before we start that actually the approach to this, certainly from a gas distribution perspective, which is where Cadent is coming from, it's critical that we're looking at this as an industry and industry-wide. So you know, everything I'm talking about certainly is uh, with collaboration across our industry. But we have uh, you know, two main projects, two main hydrogen projects that Cadent's uh, particularly uh, gaining momentum with at the moment. Um, first one is hydrogen blending. We're working in the consortium with Northern Gas Networks, with support from the HSC and uh, Ofgem and Bayes. We're looking at blending up to 20% hydrogen with a natural gas stream uh, for the Kiel University campus. Now that campus is a mixture of residential and industrial type loads, so it gives a really good feel for how this would work in practice when we blend uh, hydrogen. I mean, the benefits of that are pretty straightforward. It means that we can uh, introduce lower carbon heating with no impact on consumers at all, because the goal is that there is no change to um, 
appliances, no change to the pipelines. It's simply you're feeding a different gas into the network and operating it. Uh, as you said in your introduction, we've sort of been here before with Towns Gas. We think it should work. In fact, we're pretty certain it'll work, but we've got a lot of demonstrations to go through to prove that it will work and it'll work safely. So that's on the uh, residential commercial side. And one of the benefits of that, I think, as mentioned in the CCC report recently, was that it has the potential to help us build supply chains. And that's where our second project is really focused. So looking up in the northwest around the Liverpool Basin, a project we think of as HiNet, where we're really looking at the network level implications. So connecting up carbon capture and storage with production of hydrogen through methane reformation. The carbon dioxide is stripped off the methane effectively and put into a depleted field off the Liverpool Basin. And the hydrogen is then used in that area, either directly for industry, for heating industry, or take that off to feed into a blended or 100% distribution network downstream. And really, that is, that is how to build that supply chain up. And it's much wider than gas for heat. It brings in concepts such as um, connecting to industry for direct capture of their carbon dioxide straight into carbon capture and storage, as well as uh, methane hydrogen reformation. Um, a bit more challenging, there's lots more involved there, but you know, the benefits are great. So why are we doing it? I mean, the aim of that is essentially to take about two million homes off uh, the methane system onto a hydrogen network by about 2023, which would remove about a million tonnes of carbon dioxide. And actually for the Northwest, it's a good source of low carbon heating for their industry and should lead to increased competitiveness and uh, increased jobs are good for the local economy too. So those are two areas that we're particularly looking at. It's really interesting. So Janine, um, Alan and Ed have painted a very evocative picture of some of these applications and benefits of hydrogen. I wonder if you could build on this further across at least a couple of dimensions. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about what's happening internationally vis-a-vis -vis the promotion of hydrogen, you know, which countries and companies are doing interesting things in that area. And then secondly, specifically in terms of transportation, as you know well, electric vehicles have stolen the limelight. Uh, is there an opportunity for hydrogen in, in the transportation side? Yep, sure, thank you. Um, okay, so internationally first, Yes, there's a, there's a huge amount going on um, across a whole range of different hydrogen technologies and different uses of hydrogen. Um, so, for example, we won't be surprised to hear that China is channeling some of its industrial muscle into the development of hydrogen fuel cells. They have in mind, in particular, larger vehicles like buses and trucks. Um, in Australia, we're seeing some, some great advances, particularly on the back of the major developments in renewables in Australia that are, are proliferating over there, meaning that production of hydrogen from clean sources of power is becoming uh, very popular and increasingly investable. Um, interestingly, in Australia, they don't really have uh, a, a very ready market for that hydrogen in Australia, and so they're looking to export their hydrogen to other countries, and one of the key countries that they're looking to export to is Japan. Um, Japan's really interesting. Um, they published about 18 months ago um, a hydrogen strategy, um, which sets some really ambitious um, targets and goals for that country in terms of decarbonisation, but obviously particularly in terms of hydrogen. So, for, for example, including in the range of 15 to 30 gigawatts of uh, power generation capacity to be powered by hydrogen. 
um, 800,000 uh, vehicles to be fueled by hydrogen on the road by 2050. So some really clear targets that are driving change in Japan. In places like, uh, well, in South Korea's uh, Hyundai company um, is, is looking to spend $7 billion on the development of different hydrogen technologies and, and, um, and systems focused particularly around uh, cars, drones uh, and shipping. Um, and back here in Europe, uh, as well as the, the great things we've already heard about going on in this country, um, Another example is in Germany, where there is a 10 megawatt ele electrolysis facility being developed, um, which should commission next year um, on a Shell uh, refinery site. So all over the world, huge amounts of investment and development in, in the hydrogen space. Um, and then, yes, coming on to, on to transport, another interesting angle for hydrogen, I mean, Clearly, we can see that the major global automotive industry has placed a big bet on electric vehicles um, and, uh, you know, a huge amount of investment going into electric vehicles by those companies. But what we also know is that almost all of those companies are also investing in some way in a hydrogen solution as well for vehicles. We know that um, batteries are perhaps better suited towards smaller vehicles. But for larger vehicles, we need another solution as well. <clears throat> and that's the reason that a lot of these companies are, are, are looking at this technology too. As an example, um, we've, we, we've seen um, an initiative that's being led by Toyota, Daimler and BMW, leading a coalition of about 13 other global uh, organizations um, around from, from around the world, looking to invest about $10 billion over the next 10 years in hydrogen technology and hydrogen infrastructure. So um, yes, electric vehicles are clearly happening, but definitely hydrogen has a role to play in transport. That's great, Janine. That's a very helpful scene setting. Sam, your organization, Energy UK, recently published its report on the future of energy. Um, Perhaps we could just bring this down a level, a slightly more granular level. How do you see hydrogen benefiting the consumer? Thanks, Adrian. Um, yeah, we've just published a report looking at the future of energy. And I think what's really interesting um, is to kind of think about just the context that we're in at the moment. We've just had the Committee on Climate Change's advice to government around how we reach a zero economy by 2050. We've also had the Extinction Rebellion kind of putting climate change um, up on kind of the political and the public agenda. And I think what's really interesting is that it's really important, I think, on the next stages of kind of our decarbonisation journey that we actually bring customers along on that. Um, and I'll kind of go into that in a little bit more detail. Um, we see that kind of customers are going to need sort of a range of options. And I think hydrogen is going to have a key role to play. And I'll pick up a little bit in a minute around what Ed was talking about, about kind of injecting a, a fuel blend. Um, but actually kind of, you know, if we think about the journey we've taken over the last 10 years, particularly in the power sector, We've decarbonized to such an extent where actually coal is playing a much, much um, smaller um, part of the generation mix. We've seen kind of large investments in offshore wind as well as other decarbonization technologies. And that's kind of happened without the customer particularly playing a, a key role in this. It's kind of happened behind closed doors. And actually everyone's kind of electricity mix is, is decarbonized to an extent just because of the investments that are taking place. I think what's really interesting as we look to some of the other kind of vectors, as Alan mentioned, around kind of heat and transport, actually you know, the majority of us use methane gas for kind of heating our homes. And actually we're going to have to 
get customers to make an active decision to change that heating source. And whether that's going to be to hydrogen, whether that's an electrified system, or even maybe a hybrid solution, which is using both electricity and kind of gas, actually it's going to need kind of customers' investment take up and sort of buy-in. And I think for that, all of the things that we're talking about today need to kind of be easily accessible and attractive to customers. And I think that's really interesting. And I think what uh, Ed was picking up on there around the blend is actually kind of you know, one way that we can start to use the existing infrastructure in ways that customers, businesses are used to without actually having to kind of you know, rip up and start, start again. So I think that's kind of you know, really interesting to kind of think through what, what we need to kind of you know, do for customers and make sure that it's not just happening to them, but they actually kind of are, are buying into this process. That's great, Sam. So I think we've got a, a good founding in terms of our understanding of the application and benefits of hydrogen. Clearly, there must be challenges there because we've been talking about hydrogen and a hydrogen economy for some time. So let's talk about those challenges. And Janine, I'd like to turn to you and explore the economics of hydrogen. I mean, you spend a lot of time speaking to your uh, investors uh, about the major obstacles facing hydrogen produ production, for example. What are the common themes? What are the key highlights that we need to be aware of? Yep. Um, okay, so it's probably worth, um, I guess, setting the context a little bit for, for, for this point around uh, the cost of producing hydrogen. In, in the world at the moment, about 95% of our hydrogen is produced through processes based on uh, fossil fuels or wood. Um, so clearly, if we are looking to use hydrogen as part of a low carbon economy, we need to move away from those uh, base sources uh, to, to, to power the hydrogen production. Um, and there are two main uh, kind of processes that are developed and are beginning to be invested in um, that can do this. The first is um, through that process of um, reforming methane, for example, and turning, um, producing hydrogen through that process, you can capture and store the CO2 that's emitted through CCS, carbon capture and storage systems, um, and that, that, that therefore effectively decarbonizes that pathway. Um, the, the challenge with that, though, is that you're adding in another cost um, and quite a complex and major investment potentially into um, the production of hydrogen. But we are seeing examples of, um, I talked about an, an example up in the Northwest already of where, where you've, particularly where you've got a cluster of industry that is able to come together and create a kind of economic scale uh, where CCS carbon capture and storage can be economic for, 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 for um, harnessing that process and, and producing clean hydrogen. So that's one, one route. The, the other route for producing clean hydrogen is, to, is just through a totally different process, which is via electrolysis of water using uh, clean power uh, as the energy source, i.e. renewables. Um, and that, that, that technology is increasingly becoming more economic and more investable, uh, investable as the components of the cost of that come down. So, of course, the cost of solar and wind power is, is falling rapidly year by year. So the cost of the power is getting cheaper, but also the cost of the um, electrolysis technology itself and the equipment required for that is also 
um, undergoing a lot of investment and the costs are coming down of that as well. So, yeah, I can see um, in, a, in a relatively short time, or it is starting to be the case that projects producing hydrogen from electrolysis are becoming investable and economic. Thank you, Janine. And maybe, Alan, if I, if I turn to you, I mean, Janine talked about the uh, production process for green hydrogen. One of the key things I'm interested in is debunking some of the myths that you hear about this. So uh, there is this concept around an excess renewable supply being channeled into production of green hydrogen. It's perfectly viable. Perhaps you'd like to elaborate a little bit on that. So I think we need to differentiate between an excess supply or supply that would have been curtailed otherwise because of lack of demand and one which is specifically um, generated to produce hydrogen. I think the former, using curtailed wind for instance, when there is no demand, I think that has its place at the moment. I suspect that that place will gradually decline as we get more of an ability to uh, respond with at the demand end of the scale, either through storage and gobbling up energy with storage or through turning up of certain, certain pieces of equipment and increasing the demand. In terms of um, renewable generation, which is specifically for uh, electrolysis and therefore green hydrogen, I think there's a significant potential. Because if we look at the uh, areas of prolific natural resource, be that sunshine or, or consistent wind, they tend not to be in the locations of demand. So the ability to geographically shift that energy from one location, say Western Australia, through to European markets, Pretty much the only way that you can do that is through hydrogen or one of the hydrogen carriers like, like ammonia or liquid organics is the, is the, is the other main one. So I think that ability to, to geographically shift is important. I think the other component which is important is the ability to time shift. If the energy, as it will with sunshine, comes during the middle of the day, but you actually want to use the energy at a, in a different season, then um, hydrogen is a great way of seasonally transferring that energy. Not quite so useful in terms of day to night transfer, electric, bat, different forms of battery are probably more appropriate for that, but at certainly the longer time horizons, it really does work uh, quite nicely. Very valid points. Thank you, Alan. And maybe Ed, I mean, you talked a lot about the interesting projects that your company's undertaking. Uh, in terms of hydrogen for heating solution, wh where are the challenges there? You alluded to it, maybe you could build on it. <coughs> yeah, it's, um, there are several but uh, it, it's perhaps worth just picking up with some of the, the strengths, if you like, and where the challenges aren't, which really is picking up on something Sam said about uh, consumers and customers. So one of the, uh, the key benefits, I guess, of what we're, what we're trying to do in the use of hydrogen is actually in the home, in the domestic setting, there's probably very little that we actually need to do to convert. So it's all to be proven, but essentially the boiler is the main focus, and that could change anything from you know, adjusting the, boiler the burner tips, rather, all the way through to, at worst case, you know, a replacement boiler. So in the context of the consumer, um, actually the challenges are probably quite minimal. What we do have to do though, of course, is to prove that all of those assumptions are right and that it is safe, as safe as methane, etc. And that's the process we're going through at the moment. Um, but of course the challenge is, you know, blending only takes you so far. So putting in up to about 20% with existing equipment um, is a first step, but to go beyond that, you do have to. We believe you'll have to start changing some of that infrastructure. But it's a relatively contained problem because most of that challenge now sits with the network. Um, so you can imagine in that scenario where you're starting to move from 
effectively 0% hydrogen to 100% in all sorts of different pathways, you end up with various forms of mixed networks, possibly some networks being 100%, some being blended. Uh, biomethane, we're already dealing with that on our network. So the network challenge is not insignificant, but that's kind of what the industry's set up to manage, essentially, so we're working through that at the moment. Um, you know, conversion looks like it'd be technically possible. We've done this before, back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, um, but all of that has to be proven. And I think picking up on something Sam said earlier, actually one of the key challenges will be customer acceptance should have a key role to play in any rollout. I think getting those messages across and making sure people understand the options is going to be quite important. Okay, so I understand there's clearly lots of potential and benefits from hydrogen. Lots of opportunities there. You've all alluded to some of the challenges across the different vectors and spectrums. So how do we create an environment that allows us to realize a hydrogen pathway in the UK? So maybe Sam, from your work at Energy UK, you work closely with the government. What kind of policy needs to come into play to secure that environment that will foster innovation and investment at a level that's required? Yeah, I think what's been quite clear is kind of you know, the the various challenges as well as the various opportunities and options that are kind of facing us as we as we look to decarbonize. Um, one of the things that we've really kind of thought about with Energy UK and kind of one of the things that's in our report is that we don't need to kind of make policies that are particularly targeted at a single solution. I think you know, we, there are lots and lots of trials going on, lots of innovation, lots of research, which I think is really vital. But we shouldn't be in a place where we're picking winners. I think actually kind of, you know, depending on what that customer choice is, depending on what's kind of, you know, the, the most investable uh, frameworks, what it is that we think that it's kind of you know, going to get us to, to where we need to get to. So we, we sort of see a, a need for an open market-wide kind of you know, policy framework. We've seen what the carbon price, for instance, has done on electricity and how that's kind of you know, really played a very key signal into decarbonizing the power sector. So is there kind of a way that we can kind of utilize a similar mechanism to kind of you know, how we continue to decarbonize across other vectors such as heat and transport? Um, one thing I think that's, that we've, we've mentioned kind of customers throughout this, and I think actually one of the areas that we really need to pick up on is kind of that local area delivery as well. And it was interesting with Ed where he's talking around kind of the opportunities there for jobs, for customers, for local businesses, and kind of utilizing that local infrastructure. So I think that's kind of one area we'd, we'd like to see developed is actually what are those kind of local area solutions. And I think kind of as we look to the next kind of, you know, the early 2020s, we need to continue trialing and researching and innovating like those around the table are today already. Thanks, Sam. So, Ed, Sam talked about um, some of the work that your, your firm's doing in this area. I mean, you've got a lot of practical experience. What do you think are the essential ingredients underpinning a successful hydrogen economy? Um, we've got a, a fair few to get, get through, actually, to make the case. I think um, you know, getting pilots in at scale, proving that we can actually do this uh, technically and socially. Um, public understanding, so making sure that people understand uh, what we're proposing and um, you know, the difference between methane and hydrogen, if we were to go that way. But I think broader than that, to move from energy being electricity to energy being a range of sources that actually will vary from region to region, potentially. Uh, there's a lot of work to do around policy, market design, um, you know, a lot of work there for government and industry and regulators, uh, really to get those incentives in the right place, um, to at least uh, not get in the way and hopefully help the progress. Um, and I think in that, we have to really make the case it's not just about decarbonisation, but there's real um, 
jobs, there is real uh, benefit to this outside of uh, that fairly narrow view, narrow but important. And I think finally for me is a piece around leadership. I think it's really important that industry plays its part, but it's not just, um, it's not just ours to lead. Um, we've got to view this, I think, in a much broader perspective. It's not just heat. We've got to look at you know, carbon capture at source, industry, heat for industry, uh, transport, we've touched on, and uh, you know, ultimately domestic heat. But how those all fit together, I think, is going to be absolutely key to this, and the consumer is going to be at the centre of that. Thank you, Ed. I mean, Alan, we, we've talked a lot about policy, government policy. I suspect there's, a, there's an angle here around what government ambition is in terms of setting a clear vision and strategy, and you do quite a lot of work advising national governments in this area. What would your recommendation be to build this hydrogen pathway? So many of the projects that we've just talked about are helping us to, to move forward on that journey. And, and if you like, we're, we're learning by doing, we're get practic getting practical experience and really understanding what the, what the challenges are. I think in terms of governments, there's some very positive governments. Uh, New Zealand government, for instance, is, is very positive about hydrogen. Australian government, uh, similarly. Um, in terms of the UK government, we're working closely with them to explore uh, what potential challenges there might be in moving more to a hydrogen vector and understanding what the solutions uh, may well be for those. And we're, we're finding many solutions and we're working our way through those. But I think government needs to have that confidence that there are no significant uh, hurdles in the way so that they can really get behind uh, hydrogen and, and help it to decarbonise. The other point that I just wanted to, to make as well in terms of jobs, as we try and move away from hydrocarbons, the skill sets that are found in the hydrocarbon industries are not a million miles different from what a hydrogen economy will require. So there's a component there of equitable transition, if you like, to a low carbon uh, environment. That's great. And Janine, I'm going to let you have the final say. Aside from what the panel has already flagged, are there any other elements worth highlighting from your personal experience that accelerate this pathway to a hydrogen economy? I mean, I think, I think um, the panel have done a great job of summarising the, the kind of key things that need to happen. For me, um, this is just a, a great opportunity here. Hydrogen presents the most compelling solution for transporting huge quantities of um, energy um, and storing huge quantities of energy that are required for, for us to live our lives if we want to live in a decarbonised energy world and society. So I think if um, governments around the world are really serious about climate change, then they need to get really serious about investing and, and well and creating the environment for investment in their economies, recognizing, as, as has been said a couple of times, the opportunity there as well. This isn't just about decarbonization. There is a big opportunity for, for jobs. Um, we, we, you know, we, we can't keep waiting for this solution to happen. And the faster that we act, the quicker this will happen. And it's just clear to me that this is a really important technology. It's not the silver bullet. It's not the only solution, but it is a really important part of the energy mix of the future. Janine, thank you. And that brings our discussion to an end. Firstly, I'd like to thank all our panellists, Janine, Sam, Alan and Ed, for contributing to what was a, a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for that. So I think as, as to the future of hydrogen and its contribution to the UK energy system, 
maybe the jury is still out. Um, it c it's evident that there are lots of benefits in terms of moving to hydrogen economy, but clearly there are still some critical success factors that need to be put in place to allow that to succeed. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and analysis on this and other energy-related topics, please visit our Power and Utilities webpage at www.pwc.co.uk. If you would like further details on what Energy UK or PwC are doing in this area, please do get in touch. And thank you for listening to this podcast.